Wow, are you kidding me? Sorry for it, I had the wrong video. <laughs> Welcome to Straight Up Talk with Earl Rush. I had that I had a little technical difficulty. I had Ulyssa Cruz's video, but you've seen the one I made for Eileen anyway. Today my special guest is my honor and my privilege to interview one-on-one -on -one Eileen Torres, the woman, the myth, the legend. Eileen Torres is actually responsible for creating the Frankenstein Gogo Earl. She is my mentor. She taught me everything that I know about having Latin events. She taught me how not to be wild with ladies on the floor and just dance with them. And she taught me everything I know about Latin music. She educated me and she entertained me with her events. When I used to go to Zanzibar and see her, have her events, four or 500 people were there. That's when I said, I want to do this. I want to be like Eileen Torres. Now, unfortunately, I never grew up because when I grew up, I wanted to be like Eileen Torres, but <laughs> I still wanted to be like her. She was the biggest and the best promoter of salsa dancing in the DMV during the golden era. Her and DJ Bruno turned Zanzibar and several other clubs into DC salsa institutions. I once went to the Kennedy Center, and this one I knew I wanted to start teaching. And no lie, no exaggeration, no hype, Eileen was outside, and there were a 1,000 students at the Kennedy Center. She's had a fabulous career, and she still, still is doing great things in the Latin dance scene. I'm not going to tell you everything about her. We'll be here for several days. But what I will warn you, this is just part one, because we can't get everything that I need to talk about with her in two parts. So let me see if I can catch up with my mentor, Eileen Torres. Eileen, are you there? I'm here and happy so, to be here. I'm tripping. Sorry about the wrong video, but nobody's coming to see a video. That's everybody, okay. I like Julissa. Everybody wants to, oh, she's fabulous, but everybody wants to talk to you. Okay. And as I spoke with you earlier, I have been working on my interview skills. I found out that I need to stop trying to be like Barbara Walters and ask people, <laughs> were they good and, and were they a good kid? Were they behave well? Or were they smart in college? Nobody cares about that. Nobody wants to hear about that. So <laughs> we're going to get straight to the meat of things. First of all, thank you for coming on. So I know that you grew up in Lorraine, Ohio. My first question to you is, how did you end up going to school in Colorado from Lorraine, Ohio? Well, by a fluke, but a wonderful fluke. Um, my mother's first cousin was privileged to go to college because his Navy buddy's mother wanted her son to go to college and said, I will pay your tuition if you get him to enroll. And because uh, cousin Manny was so big on education, you know, this poor Mexican boy, um, when he went to the University of Colorado. I have no idea. Go I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, he was working at the University of Colorado, and this was during the time of the Chicano movement, and they had they were recruiting Chicano students to attend the University of Colorado, and they had a few slots for out-of-state Chicanos. And he wrote and asked if I would be interested in going to college, and I'm like, yes, I would. And that's how I got to college. Wow. And uh, you are co-founder of the Colorado Ballet Folk Folklorico there? Am I Folklorico. Right. When I, when I was there, I wanted to learn more Mexican folk dance. So um, I got a, a woman to start teaching. And then we brought in a, I would call him a dance master. And he started teaching there. And uh, uh, we put together a dance group. You know, we bought costumes and started performing. And then he... And we were able to use his classes for college credits. Okay, all right. And you also toured with the Chicano Dance Theater. Was that out of Colorado? That was out of Boulder. So, excuse me, out of Denver. So I came back here for a couple of years, and then I saw um, some 
newspaper article about this dance group in Denver that was auditioning. And uh, one of the things on their schedule was going to Puerto Rico. And there's so many Puerto Ricans in Lorraine. I'm like, I want to go to Puerto Rico. <laughs> and so I kept uh, writing to them and they said, yeah, we want you to come and audition. And they were not calling me in for an audition. So I quit my job. I packed up my bags and I showed up on their doorstep and they're like, oh, my God, she's here. <laughs> okay. I auditioned her. I, that was in early November. And at the end of December, we were uh, flying to Puerto Rico. And one of the funny things is I was f with all these people from Denver. And as we were walking around Viejo San Juan, I started running into people from Lorraine. And they kept saying, we're in a different country. How do you know all these people? I said, oh, my God, there's so many Puerto Ricans in Lorraine, and they all come to Puerto Rico for Christmas. So, so I took half of the dance company to um, a, a neighbor's house. He lived on the next street from me, and he said, anybody you want to bring? So about eight of the dance company went there. We ate, drank, listened to music, and, yeah, that's part of my story. So you are... Definitely a historian, and you have all types of knowledge about the bands and the artists out there, bands that are legendary. When did you get first exposed, and when did you start getting knowledge about the bands? Okay, so I always knew what Latin music was and, you know, dancing danzón and then, you know, dancing to what we used to call Puerto Rican music. It wasn't... Uh, Salsa wasn't the term yet. But when I came back from college, I saw a poster saying uh, dance at Sacred Heart uh, Hall. And it was Larry Harlow. And that's when uh, the song La Cartera was really hitting big. So I bear I really didn't know too many people because I was gone from Lorraine for so long in college. And the first dance I went to was Larry Harlow. And then soon thereafter, I became acquainted with three gentlemen called Salsa Productions, mm -hmm. and they would bring in big time bands, the bands, the biggest names in salsa, because New York would have the bands, and then on their way to Chicago, they would stop in Lorraine or in Cleveland, but Lorraine had many, many more bands. I saw Hector Lavoe here, you know, wow. about... Wow. Uh, half a mile from my mom's house. I saw Hector Lawo. I mean, I've seen them all in Lorraine. I became friends with uh, Jose Alberto El Canario. Uh -huh. He came to uh, Lorraine so often with Alfredo de la Fe during the Tipica 73 era. Uh -huh. And I remember one time he came and I said, hey, I'm moving to New York tomorrow. I'll see you at the Village Gate. So <laughs> I got my, my salsa basic education in Lorraine, Ohio. Okay, all right. So were the the three brothers, the salsa production, were were that were they your inspiration to produce events? Well, I loved what they did because it was such a, a, a joyful gathering of people. This was before everybody was spinning and doing all of that stuff, but everybody was <laughs> jamming to the music. Uh -huh. Everybody was doing it to death, everybody was dancing to the music right and, and so um i thought well you know and plus i helped them a few times organize a few of their events and i thought well when i got to dc i was surprised that i knew more about salsa music than almost anybody except the musicians and the big time heavy duty mm -hmm. uh new yorkers okay so but what made you what to teach other people about the Latin culture? Well, first of all, I'm very proud of the Latino culture because it, it's so beautiful and it, it uh, encompasses so many happy things, music and dance and food and love of family and all of that. So as I um, would be, well, first of all, Back in the day, everybody had albums. Remember the big albums? There's right. a back there if you could see over my head. And there were liner notes. Okay. Um, and you would read about, you know, who the artists were and uh, who wrote the song and, uh, you know, just a lot of things. 
And sometimes even in the sleeve inside the album, there were more notes. I used to read everything. Okay. And so I became familiar with so, not just the, the musicians, but the producers and uh, the people who did the recordings and the studios and all of that. I just lapped it all up. And then um, when Wendell had his first salsa festival, I asked him, well, who's going to do salsa history? And he's like, what? And I'm like, we can't have a salsa festival without talking about the history. And he said, can you do it? And I thought, I think I can. And I got all of these videotapes, you know, that you put in VCR. Uh And I would uh, cue them up to highlight the point I was talking about. So if I was going to talk about Ray Barreto, I would say, okay, so, you know, it's this song and listen to this. I remember one thing that our good friend Carl Scott told me that impressed him. I played an Eddie Palmieri song and I had everybody close their eyes Uh and listen to the music and pick out all the different instruments so that people could really appreciate it. And when you listen that way, I contend you dance better. Okay. All right. Well, we definitely miss your expertise here. Uh, I'm always kind of hard on this current generation, but it's like nobody knows anything about the history, but I don't think they really care about it. But I think we we should have someone like you to educate us. I know we used to come to Zanzibar and you would show films or (laughs) other places you show films. And you'd be like, you're going to learn something whether you want to or not. I always had a video playing on that big screen. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it would be uh, dance performances. But a lot of times it would be like, you know, uh, a Roberto Ruena anniversary concert. Or it would be, uh, you know, the greatest charanga bands. Whatever it was, I would play it. And even if you couldn't hear it, you could see what was going on. And I remember people would say, hey, who's that? You know, Um, and there would be times where as much as I know, believe me, nobody knows everything. But as much as I know, I was like, who's that? Who's that? Joe Faletto could tell you who every single person was. Uh who they started with, what city they were born in. And I was like, okay, you know, and, and Bruno, you know, Nancy, uh-huh. all these people that, um, you know, were were the salsa pioneers that yes. were really instrumental in educating the public because we educated the public without them knowing it. Right, so right. For instance, any DJ that wanted to play at Zanzibar had to tell me, what their 20 favorite songs were, <laughs> their 10 favorite orchestras were, mm-hmm. who their five favorite lead singers were, and who their favorite three sonetos were. And that, <laughs> that would stop people because they're like, what's a sonero? And that's the guy <laughs> that's improvising, you know, like he's almost right. like rapping, you know. After uh-huh. the photo, he makes up the rest of the music. So uh, that would tell me who had mean. a depth of knowledge. Oh, okay. Yeah. So after college, you moved to New York. Did, how long did you live in New York? Did you live I lived in New while? York for almost one year. And uh-huh. let me tell you, the best thing about living in New York was Monday night salsa meets jazz at the Village Gate. Wow. And I was listening to Henry Knowles today, and he was talking about Monday, how nobody played on Monday. That was like an industry night. So you would go to a club. And all the musicians would be, you know, I saw Hector Lavoe standing at the bar. I saw uh, 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 Ruben Blades, you know, uh, standing at the bar talking to people. There would be so many guest artists coming on stage. So it would be two orchestras mm-hmm. and one uh, famed jazz musician. And the jazz musician would get up and jam with the salsa orchestra. And you want to talk about screaming to, to things <laughs> that they did just from improvising and getting inspiration from the other people on stage. I went, I lived there, say, for 52 weeks. I went to the Village Gate 50 weeks. Okay. All right. Is that, I mean, I know you said you got a lot of exposure when you were in Lorraine after you came back from college from the different bands coming there. But I just want to, I mean, I mean, you knew you knew 
every band, every band that came here, you knew them all. How, how did you get to meet all these people? Well, I'm, I met a lot of these guys in Lorraine. I mean, they came. So, for instance, not no, I never met uh, uh, Tito Nieves, but for instance, he was a backup singer that came with uh, with uh, Justo Bentoncourt. You know, okay. uh -huh. he came with him. Um, I mean, so all these guys were coming up, and here's a funny story. One of the musicians and Larry Harlow that um, I had met when uh, Albert Torres was doing his musicians workshops all week long before the, his salsa congresses. Right. He and I sat down for lunch and he said, hey, Eileen, where are you from? And I said, <laughs> Lorraine, Ohio. He said, oh, my God, I lost my virginity there. <laughs> I said, wow. I, I know with who. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So when you moved from New York to Washington, D.C., did you have plans to become an events organizer when you moved here, or did that just happen when you came here? Well, it, no, I had no plans. Uh, I was there to have a good time. I, I got uh, there on a Sunday, and the following Saturday, I was at Chelsea's. Okay. okay. Right. I was at okay. Chelsea's. I already knew about Chelsea's, and I became a regular there. Um, and then I started noticing a lot of people um, were teaching dance lessons, and I thought, gee, I have a better method of teaching. Right. Uh, because I know how to break it down so easily so that, mm -hmm. you know, almost anybody could get it. And then I met uh, Tony Vargas at um, uh, Wendell and Leon's first New Year's Eve party. Okay. What a blast that party was. <laughs> and, uh, uh, talking with Tony, uh, he said, well, we, we should do something. So he's the one that said, hey. Let's, uh, I'll do the website, you give the lessons, I'll be the DJ. So I taught Tony a lot about music. He used to come over all the time and just go through all my music. Okay. And um, before you know it, um, I think the first place that we did anything was uh, Relish, which was later Ooh La La, and it had another name too. Okay. Uh, so that's where we started. And then, uh, then we moved on to, um, gosh, I think we must have moved on to the club on on 12th and k 12th and k oh, yeah. thursday night i think it was thursday i night. think it was thursday you're right um yeah. and that's where i heard about bruno and so i said hey um you know come in and play that'll be your audition uh you know? wow and okay. so and so he came in and played and i said well i like what this guy does and mm -hmm. then uh i called him and i said okay uh, I want you to play next week too. So him uh, and Tony were my my two DJs, and then we went to Eleventh Hour, which was just down the street from Musa's place, Diversity. Right. Wednesdays there. Uh huh. And then you know we started doing small places. Uh, Polytiki, that was on Pennsylvania Avenue. We did the tap room in, um, gosh, uh, Vienna, Virginia, I believe. We uh -huh. did New York, New York. Um, and then uh, I got the call to go and meet with this guy named Abdul. Um, no, <laughs> no, oh, no. First, where I lived, there was a Mexican restaurant called uh, El Torito. Right. That was uh, bought by someone, and they said it was going to be uh, a nightclub. And I thought, I'm going to go in there and talk to those owners and see if they're interested in the Latin night. Right. And one of them had already seen me at eleventh hour, and uh, he said, "Yeah, we want to do a, a Latin night." I said, "Well, let's do it on Thursdays." You know, and he said, "Nope, we have to do it on Wednesday." Okay. Uh, how long do you want to promote this? I said, "Well, you know, it could be about three months." He said, "Okay," and then he said, "Okay, we're starting in three weeks." So, okay. okay, we'll see uh -huh. if we can get there. And um, Zanzibar just turned out to be such a heavy-duty place for people wow. to meet. All around the world, people had heard about Zanzibar. I knew people that would plan their business meetings so that they would be there on a Wednesday night. Yes. And, and that place was jumping all the time. Oh, incredible, incredible, incredible. And I also wanted to thank you when you, you let me do an apprenticeship with you for five years. You used to let me assist you in your classes. So that was my apprenticeship. It's not mm -hmm. like, it's not like, you know, nowadays, 
you take two classes from somebody, you look at something on YouTube, and then everybody's putting a shingle on top when I'm teaching classes. But, you know, I guess I didn't have to say that, but that's how it is, you know. I mean, I believe that you have to put in your time, go to the conferences and, and learn from someone first. So that's how I did it. And I really appreciate it. And one day you weren't able to make it, and you said, Earl, you're going to have to teach a class. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and for, and that gave me the confidence, and that's when I said, okay, I can teach Alan's classes and the bar. I'm ready to teach some basic classes. That was good. Now, one thing that I admired about you and what I learned from you is that you were very, very loyal to your DJs. DJ Bruno, who's known across the world, if, if you had a gig, Bruno had a gig. And I love that about the your loyalty. That's all. I'm very loyal to my DJs now. DJs say, "Well, I want to play, but I have, you know, I have certain DJs that I work with that have been good to me and been loyal to me. They don't understand it. They get mad at me and say, "Oh, I don't play good enough for you." I said, "No, that's not the case. I'm just loyal to my DJs." Right. And uh, tell me how did how did DJ Bruno get to go out to the LA Salsa Congress? I, I, you know the story. I don't know the story. Oh, well, you know, I, I knew Albert because I, um, after I went, I went to the second Puerto Rico Salsa Congress. I didn't know about the first one. I went to the second one and I was so impressed. I told Eli Irisari, I said, I'm coming back next year and I'm going to bring you a hundred people. So I used to take these Salsa Centro delegations there, hundred people plus from all over. They would register through my website, et cetera. And so I met Albert because Albert was always there. He was uh, doing emceeing and, um, you know, he ha had a big role there. He was a promoter from the West Coast. Right. And so he had a big role there. And so I got to know all the hierarchy of the Puerto Rico Salsa Congress. And so everything that he was doing, I mean, he even had me come out and do the history of salsa. And he did it. I'll never forget this. No, there was nothing else going on. There was right. only me. Uh -huh. No workshops because everybody rather learn how to dance than learn about music. But right. Albert understood the importance of music to dancing, so he scheduled nothing. It was during the lunch hour. People came in, and um, so we developed a, a good relationship. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. And... Um, you know, I, I did tell him uh, uh, about Bruno. Plus, um, I'm trying to think if he, if Albert had come to Zanzibar once. But anyway, uh, mm -hmm. I was able to convince him that, uh, uh, you know, this guy knows his stuff. You know, you call him and ask him any question you want, and he's going to give you the answer that you're expecting. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Bruno in a couple of weeks. And, you know, the thing is, like now the kids growing up today, you say DJ Bruno, they don't even know who he is, you know. And I, I think that that's, I think that that's a shame that no one knows Bruno's because Bruno was the first one that really made me fall in love with salsa, because I used to go see him at the uh, cafe uh, somewhere off Adams Morgan. He played the Latin not jazz. At, no, not cafe at Lontico, uh Latin jazz alley, maybe. Yes, yes. And I would go see Bruno, and there weren't a lot of people going there at that time. Because everybody was trying to get into Chelsea before 10 o'clock so they could get in free. But I, I would go up there and it'd be like maybe four or five people in there. And I would just be in there dancing and Bruno would just be tearing it up. Just tearing it up. And a lot of people don't know about Bruno today. So hopefully they'll find out about it when I interview him. So Ask him about uh, riding his bike uh, to get tickets to see the Fani All-Stars at the stadium. <laughs> okay. Ask him about that. Okay, definitely. So one thing about you, Eileen, which was cool, you no one could come into Zanzibar if they weren't dressed properly. And I appreciate you for having that strict dress code. You could wear jeans or anything like that. You didn't have to have a jacket, but you had to come in dressed properly, uh, well-groomed and everything. And I think that's one of the reasons why all the ladies used to go to Zanzibar, besides the music, because they knew the guys were going to be dressed nice in there. 
and they had a chance to dress up too. And that was just an extension of the salsa culture, like Henry Knowles, because I listened to that interview. Uh, uh -huh. It was a great interview. And Henry just stated very clearly that you could not go into the clubs if you didn't have on a jacket. So I don't know if you remember, but I took a, a, a bus full of people up to the Copacabana uh, because there was going to be a reunion of Tipica band. So uh, we took a, a bus, uh, we put in videos of Tipica so people could really get into them. Right. And um, uh, everyone that was going, I told them, make sure gentlemen that you have a jacket and a tie because if not they're going to give you one and you're going to put it on and it may not look good and it may not be your size and another funny story is gary socias um uh came to new york when i was living there and uh, of course him being a musician he wanted to go out and hear some music and i said well let's go to the palm tree that was in um that was in Queens and that was a, a kind of an elegant place. I mean, all of the clubs were, you had to be dressed to get in. Mm -hmm. And Gary came without a jacket. <laughs> and so um, he got word to me and I asked someone I knew, I said, hey, my friend is here from Denver. Can you please let me borrow that jacket so he could get in? And so <laughs> I not that story until Gary reminded me. and. By the way, Gary used to play for our dance company, the National Chicano Dance Theater. And okay. then later on when I was in DC, he called me and said, hey, I'm moving to DC. Can you set me up with some bands? So I told every band leader about him. And the one who really jumped on it was Edwin Ortiz. And he played with Edwin for a long time. Woo. Then when I got back here to Ohio, Gary says, guess what? Um, and outside of Cleveland, I'm like, oh, my God. He said, I know, Eileen, I'm stalking you. <laughs> yeah, that was good. So tell us about some of the stories, because I know you used to go up on Monday nights to Henry's thing up in, in oh, New York. Oh, tell me, oh. Yes, tell me about that. Oh, my God, yes. Well, at the time, I was the uh, representative, the advertising representative for a magazine called Latina Style, which was the first uh, Latina magazine, even before the, the Latina magazine came, the Latina style came out and it was geared for uh, uh, Latina professional women. And so I would make sure that I would go to New York to do my calls on the advertising agencies, either on Monday or Tuesday, because Tuesday was Copa, you know, salsa night at the Copa. But okay. Monday night, Flamingo was jumping. And <laughs> what was such a trip is that the the word would get around that I was there and all the musicians would come <laughs> and say, hey, I hear that you're booking bands at VIP Club. We haven't even talked about VIP Club. And I said, yeah. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I brought as many bands from New York as possible to VIP because I wanted the salsa community to be exposed to the best music there was. Yes. And if you could get in free to a place, which you could, if you got on the guest list and got in before 11 o'clock, you got in, you could see the best bands in the world appearing in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. Now, my, my question to you is I always wanted to know Excuse my language. How in the hell did you get these club owners to bring all these bands here and then charge no admission? Well, you know, that, that was uh, amazing to me. So at Zanzibar, we always charged. So we had yeah. brought in Conjunto Imagen for the first anniversary. We brought in Los Hermanos Moreno. We brought in uh, Ray Sepulveda, you know, uh, Larry Harlow. We brought in, you know, a lot of bands. And the, the club owners at Zanzibar saw what a draw live music was but the strange thing to me was being at a club where you would bring in the top names in salsa and most of the people would get in free well as you remember that club was four floors of course we had the basement because that had the permanent stage right but you know there would be at least 400 people down there and everybody drank. And so I guess the volume at the bar is what paid for the bands because not only did they pay for the bands, but there were probably for the four floors, there were at least a dozen promoters. 
and we all got paid well. Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, I was I, I was working with you guys down at uh, H2O, not VIP, but H2O. Yeah, and, I, and you know, Abdul, <laughs> he'd say, "Talk to Eileen, whatever Eileen Eileen would bring anybody, and and they would bring him." So that was a beautiful thing, man. Well, you know, sometimes I would have to, uh, you know, they're nah, don't bring that one. But uh, like, for instance, for my birthday, um, uh, for the first birthday that I did at VIP Club, I said, we have to bring Alfredo de la Fe. Yeah. And I knew that there maybe, maybe 40 people knew who he was. But after he played, Everybody remembered him <laughs> yeah. so many times. And then the last, um, before the lease was lost at VIP Club, the last band um, that was going to perform, and it would be for my birthday, was Lense. <laughs> and that's the band that hardly ever came to the United States. My girlfriend and I drove from Lorraine to New York we went dancing in New York. The next day, we drove to Connecticut to see Mulense. Then we drove back to New York. They hardly ever came to the United States. And I said, I want to bring Mulense. And I remember musicians said, I'm not playing that night because I'm going to go see Mulense. I can't. <laughs> so we, we were lucky to have, you know, like, remember when Oscar de Leon came and there were so many people, they had to open the, the other floor <laughs> yeah. because there was no more room. I mean, we had Willie Colon, Spanish Harlem Orchestra. I'm the first one ever, ever brought Spanish Harlem Orchestra. Um, mm -hmm. Orquesta de la Luz from Japan. I'm the first one that brought them back when they uh, reunited. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, there, there were a lot of, bands that we expose the public to and if you can see them and hear them and dance to them they make an impression in your mind yeah definitely definitely so what what made you come up with the concept of the Salsa Awards and I'm going to tell you a funny story about that true story about that the Salsa Awards and Bringing you like you bought Frankie Martinez, you bought a young Dolan Garcia in Art and Motion. You were the first to bring performance groups from out of town to Zanzibar. What 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 made you do that? Well, after being um, involved with the Puerto Rico Salsa Congress, I got to know a lot of these dance groups, and so. I would just call them up and say, hey, uh, I would like to bring you to Zanzibar. And the first one that I brought was Abacua, Frankie Martinez. Yes. I Santo Rico, uh, Art in Motion. Uh, we brought, I don't remember the ladies' names, what they were calling themselves, but Andy, Andy's wife, Gildred. Yes, uh, yes. She, she came with a group of women. We had a couple from uh, Holland. Um, I mean, there were just a lot of groups, but because I had been exposed to the Salsa Congress, oh, and Young Ambition, how can I forget? Oh, young wow. Ambition, yeah. The kids. Um, so we would bring them because I knew that, the, well, I thought that the audience would respond to them very positively, and I was right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so I tell people all the time, I talk about you all the time, they're like, who's this Eileen Torres woman? I said, she was the lady in D.C. And you, I've always followed your blueprint, okay? My, the Stuck on Salsa parties were blueprint of Eileen Torres parties at Zanzibar, which meant no bachata, <laughs> you, had the, had, free zone at Zanzibar. You, you had to dress well and because of Bruno my DJs had to be slamming I couldn't just hire somebody because they were my friend the music had to be jamming and then I would bring you and Beto Herrera I talk about him he had an event down North Carolina that inspired me but you bringing the groups to Zanzibar also inspired me to bring other groups to my party. And then yeah, I realized, like you said, the dancers here would get excited when other out-of-town dancers came. So there was a method to that madness, you know? And you got you got people come from out of town, they want to get excited and dance with everybody. And that, that causes a vibe and an energy that's very hard to create. 
you know. So when I ask you, because I can't remember, I'll be 65 tomorrow. I'm getting old as the dirt. It, because birthday. I knew you. Did I meet you at the club of 12th and K or did I meet you at Chelsea? Do you remember? We met at Chelsea's. Okay, okay. Yeah, you, you stood out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I stood out because I was a dancer, so that's why. But you and Vivian were the only two ladies that would dance with me at Chelsea's, and mm. I, I, I appreciate that as well. So good, yes. Well, you, you, you always had good rhythm. I rather dance with someone who can stay on beat for the whole song, and, <laughs> and not do too much fancy stuff. Just stay <laughs> on beat so that you know we could both enjoy it. Then someone do too many moves and forgetting, you know, uh, where, where the, the rhythm is falling. Right. So what made you come up with the famous, we may have covered it already. I'm getting old. The famous women in salsa and the famous men in salsa. Where well, uh, I'll tell you one of the things that really inspired me. Well, two things. One is that I saw there were so many people doing so many good things, you know, some people volunteering, I mean, putting in a lot of hard work, uh, be, being leaders in their own right that were was making the entire community better because of their efforts that were never recognized. That was one thing. And the other thing was that I, uh, me and Joyce and uh, gosh, about four or five of us, went to the Mambo Madness um, uh, theatrical show okay. in New York. And it was a lot of different dance teams performing. And that really inspired me. And what I really stole from them, or let's say I was inspired, mm -hmm. is they did a finale where they had every group do something. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to recognize these people uh, in some little way. And um, then we're going to ask all the teams for women in salsa, tribute to women in salsa. Let's honor, you know, women who've done great things, you know, dance captains, DJs, uh, whatever it could be, choreographers. And then uh, we'll have their teams perform. And mm -hmm. that became... Um, you know, uh, it became something that people looked forward to. People yeah. started practicing, you know, for a year so that they could perform that night. Yeah. And, um, you know, we ran it uh, a lot, you know, very meticulously. People, you know, the dance captains got memos and this is what we're going to do. These are the mandatory rehearsals. This is the count for your groups section in the finale. Uh, this is the song we're using. Uh, this is who you're going to check in with. And uh -huh. anyway, it all worked well. And then we did it for men. And when we did it for men, there were so <laughs> many men to honor. And then putting all like, especially the non-dancers or, you know, not that, uh -huh. was, not that anyone was a non-dancer, but they were not the dance captains right so we had all the djs and everybody uh in a big long line and we put on a song and everybody took a solo i mean henry knowles was there that night he took a uh, solo and uh -huh. uh, god i i just i can still see it <laughs> still see it, and then of course i can still see your group that, uh, added an extra piece of music that was not in the rehearsals. <laughs> and then your group uh, with that sexy piece of music started stripping. And yeah. I remember cracking up watching the women because the women were going wild, <laughs> wild, jumping yeah. up and down. Uh, right. And I remember there was no security at Zanzibar. There was never yeah. any problems. But, you know, the people, the guys that worked the door, they came running upstairs to see what the commotion was. And it was just yeah. you guys taking off your clothes. Right. Well, <laughs> it, it wasn't my group. I, actually, that was the only two times I performed was that night. Uh, Shaka and Sion let me be in the group. It was called Clavacazi and Friends. Oh, that's and, right. That's and right. Orlando and Terrence and all of them. And at the end of the routine, you know, 
I was a bit overweight, so I didn't actually take my shirt off. I didn't want anybody to get sick or anything, <laughs> seeing my fat stomach. I kept my T-shirt on. But Terrence had stripped down to his... A his, white uh, thong. A white thong. And they won't even let me post that on Facebook anymore. Really? <laughs> but, yeah. But uh, the women went crazy. You know, Scion and Shaka, they all had great bodies, so they could take their shirt off. And Terrence, they were all built... And it was, it was definitely a night to remember for sure. It certainly was. I that was the the most surprising and exciting tribute to men and salsa dance show we ever had. <laughs> Back to the 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 award show that you produced. The reason why I would be I could be truthful with you because you're my lady, you're my girl. The reason why I started the stuck on salsa award is because. I would always go to, I went to everything you ever had, of course, in Zanzibar. But one year, I wasn't happy with the couple of people you gave awards to. I'm like, I can't believe that clown got an award, you know, and I was, and, and I was upset. And Kelvin said, well, Earl, if you don't like her award, then you have to start your own award show. And thus started the Stuckies, the Stuckies on because I didn't, I didn't agree with somebody you had given the award to. You know, I was petty and silly back then. So, <laughs> what can you do? Well, <laughs> it probably did something that uh, merited being recognized by the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, what they call it now, I was just a hater. I was a hater. That's <laughs> all, that's all. So, Eileen, how did you get the hookup with to Smithsonian and the Kennedy Center. I really, people think I'm lying. One night you taught out there on a Saturday night, and there were a thousand people outside at the plaza at the Kennedy Center. I mean, right, these dancing, classes, dancing on the terrace. These classes were bigger than the Europe classes that they have over Europe. There were a thousand people out there taking classes. How did you get the hookup with the Kennedy Center and the Smithsonian? Well, I'll tell you the the uh, two things. First of all, um, Tony, uh, who created the, the website um, uh, Salsa Centro, um, that helped. And then uh, a gentleman who had a, a booking agency uh, saw me and um, started uh, booking me around. So my name started getting out there when it had to do anything with Latin music or Latin history. So I was the first one off the starting block that, um, you know, had the credentials. And so, um, you know, it was the Kennedy Center, um, all the, the museums. I think I did, I think I produced a program for every Smithsonian in, um, museum there is. I was never invited to do anything at the zoo. Most people don't know uh, outside of DC that the zoo is part of the Smithsonian. But I, I was never invited to do anything there. But I mean, I did so many events at, I, I mean, even, you know, the Postal Museum and, you know, all, all these museums uh, yeah. during Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, and then National Geographic, that was great. You know, they had me come in and, uh, you know, do video lectures and have dancers perform. And then afterwards, I would teach a dance lesson. And then Bruno would play for the party. And, mm -hmm. The events were always so well received because people were getting educated while they were entertained, and then they were having a dance lesson and they were having fun. Okay. Well, why? And Bruno was fabulous, but why were you so loyal to him? Why, did, when you had a job, he had a job. What was it about him? I mean, he was great. He is great. He is great. Yes. Well, here is um, when I started at eleventh hour. You know how much I got paid for that night. $150 for the three of us. And wow. so those guys worked for pennies. Okay. They worked for pennies. And I will never forget that they worked for pennies when I was just trying to establish myself and my name and my own brand of right. doing things. And so that's why I always, always uh, went to them first. Okay. That, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> we got so many memories. <laughs> I was thinking about you used to do some things down at Diversity with Musa as well. Is that correct or am I tripping? Well, um, I, I mostly 
attended his events because Musa brought in great, you know, the, the best performance I ever saw of Oscar de Leon was at Diversity. Okay. And remember how he had that catwalk? Um, you yeah. There's a catwalk. Yeah. I was watching that stage and I had never seen Oscar de Leon with 20 pieces in his orchestra. Right. And those guys were getting on stage and I was like, are they going to fit? Right. <laughs> and, you know, what I always loved about Oscar is that um, he would get on stage, no talking, you know, no good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It was just ba, 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 ba. And the band would start. Right. It would end on one beat and start up on the next song. And five songs later, he said, you know, uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I supported everything that Musa did because Musa from Africa would blow my mind with what he knew. And he said, oh, we, you know, he played me some music by a guy named Charles Fox. I'm and uh, he said, oh, yeah, this was a big hit at my prom. <laughs> I'm like, geez, okay. You know, the more you know, the more you find out you don't know much. Right. So I, uh, whatever he had, uh, I, I uh, helped out there. And then, of course, he allowed so many people to use his venue. That's where Wendell did his first salsa um, uh festival right so i was there a lot yeah definitely and you know i uh <laughs> crazy a lot of times i would think back of you mentioned that you had bought the uh influenza and i remember you had bought the all ladies i don't know whether it was it was Japanese Son Reinas, the all-female Japanese salsa band. We brought them to Zanzibar twice. Okay. And what was the name of the... the you bought somebody from Africa. You bought an African band oh, there. Um, uh, Ricardo Lembo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are great times. Great, and and great how times. about... We brought uh, Orquesta Aragon. Of course, Aragon was not you know the original iteration of the band, but... It was their legacy, and Orquesta Aragon. I mean, that was such a prominent name in Cuban music, and to think that we were able to bring them to Zanzibar—that was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> those were the days for sure. <laughs> Just amazing so, time. So glad. Well, and you know, I even go back, uh, as I was telling you earlier uh, when we were talking this morning, that you know, I started going to New York in uh, 1977 and going out to all those clubs there. And so, there, I, you know, you would go to one club and there would be seven bands playing that night. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was $7 to get in to hear seven bands. Right. So, you know, you'd go in and you'd see Ray Barreto and you'd see Hector Lavon, you'd see Willie Colon, and uh, gosh, I don't know why I can't think of all the names, Tipica. Uh, I mean, so many bands, it would be one after another, Tito Puente, you know. Um, so that is what I went into. So that furthered my appreciation and my knowledge of the music. And, uh, I try to replicate as much of that as possible in DC. But the great thing was being young and alive in the 1970s <laughs> when the era was hitting. And, you know, like Henry was saying, it was just smoking in New York. You yeah. could go to, if you wanted to, if you had one favorite band, you could go to seven different clubs and hear them, you know, starting early evening and till one, one time um, I was at uh, Club Broadway and um, at five o'clock in the morning, the last band to walk in the door was uh, Conjunto Clásico. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is heaven. <laughs> we just saw five orchestras. I saw Ruben Blaze that night. I saw Tito Puente that night. I mean, it was just, and then, here comes in uh, Conjunto Clásico. So it was just fabulous 
to be alive at that time because it's so different now. Yes, yes, it is, it is, it is. I, I, I would tell people all the time when they ask me, do I know such and such and such and such, because they accuse me of being a name dropper, you know. But I said, no, I, I really know these people. I met all these people from Eileen. And I remember you did an event with Mr. Juice, Juice at Juice Lounge in Bethesda. You were working with him as well. And right. he's, another, he's another one. I don't know how you got talked to bring it uh, Frankie Vasquez there, but you introduced me to Frankie Vasquez, and he was so down to earth. And a couple of months later, I saw him over in Baltimore. He remember, he said, "Yeah, you're Eileen's friend." I said, "Yeah, yeah." And then he said, "Go, go, 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 something, go." I said, "I said, yeah." And so, a lot of the names that I dropped of famous people, I met through you, like Harry Knowles, you know, and Frankie Vasquez, and a lot of the band members. So I thank you for that as well. That was awesome. But uh, do, you, do you, you remember that night at Juice Lounge with Frankie Vasquez and Joe oh, Falero? Yeah. Back in oh, yes. Yeah, we had Frankie a couple times. Yeah. 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 And uh, what I love, uh, you know, I always say that, that Frankie Vasquez is like uh, the newer um, version of Hector Lavoe, you know, a a man that understands uh, the street side and understands the sophisticated side and understands the, um, you know, the history and where the music is going. I saw him, uh, you know, he was with Spanish Harlem um, because it was Oscar Hernandez who was heading up the musicians uh, workshops that we right. for his Congress. And Frankie was there uh, as a, a vocal coach. And um, Frankie was there standing in the back of the tent. And Bobby Valentin was, wow. uh, yeah, it was playing that night in the tent. And I said to Frankie, um, you going to go up and sing with them? He said, oh, you know, uh, <laughs> they're not going to call me. I said, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Uh -huh. And uh, uh, they called him up. And of course, he didn't know what they were going to be playing. And they, it, one of my favorite songs is uh, Jacobo Basura. And um, he got up there and he sang it. And then, of course, because he's such a great uh, sonero, an improviser, you know, he changed around a lot of the lyrics to fit with the occasion, to fit with that we were outside, that we were in a tent, who he was playing with. I mean, just. And he's just such a um, normal, down-to-earth, um, inclusive, happy guy. Uh, he's nice to everybody. You know, he doesn't have any errors about him. And, right. And I think I told you that uh, he's singing a song that Gary Sosias wrote about me. Oh wow! Uh, is that is that an honor or is that an honor? Uh, I'm kind of slow, but that's an honor <laughs> for sure. Definitely for sure. Wow, Eileen, you got so many stories to tell. We could go on for a week. We're, we, we're going to have to wrap it up soon. Yep. We got a few more minutes because we talked about it. I don't want to go past an hour. because right, We've been, only got five minutes. Yeah, my, my interviews have gone just too damn long because <sighs> – most of the people that I interview, I, I know very well, and I, it's just like I'm having a conversation with them. And sometimes I let the time go by, but I have to become a little bit more diligent because I don't want anybody saying, I'm not going to watch these interviews. These interviews are too damn long. But we have more people that there's going to be a part two for sure. We got a whole lot of stuff that we have not covered. But I want to let people know that you know how people to catch the Greyhound bus up to New York or to Jersey or wherever go out of town during the week. People don't realize when Zanzibar was at its highlight, heyday, people would come from New York, Jersey, Richmond, everywhere, Baltimore, to come to Zanzibar on a Wednesday night. It was just such a place to be. It was just magic. And I can't explain it. You, you had to be there, you know. I met Steve Green there years yeah, ago. Every Wednesday from Richmond. I, I'm like, I see you. I see you all the time, but I don't see you in town. Where are you from? He says, "I'm from Richmond, dude." And I'm like, "You drive all the way up here from Richmond?" He said, oh, "It takes about an hour and a half. That's before '95 got crazy. Mm -hmm. You can get to you can get to Richmond in 90 minutes." And he would be up here every week. Yep. 
religiously, and there were people from out of town that would come. Pennsylvania. In. There was a guy that lived in Pennsylvania that would come every Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yes. And uh, we talked about it today, and we're going to wrap it up. We got a couple of minutes. Tell us about the time when you had the people in the 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 old Marble days in D.C. Oh. They used to dance on U Street. They came down to perform at Zanzibar. Well, uh, I did a tribute to old school mambo so that we could recognize the African-Americans that brought uh, mambo to D.C. in the 50s. And I learned from uh, this older generation about the TV show they had and about the, um, uh, the hotels they would dance in and the different clubs. And a lot of those people were still around. I thought, well, let's honor these people. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I talked to as many of the older people that I knew and said, who else, who else, who else? They gave me all these names. And the funny thing was nobody had email. So I had to write letters. I had to type letters and put them in an envelope and address them and then wait for them to call me back. So we did a tribute to old school mambo. We had all the dance groups that wanted to participate dance only to Palladium style music. And then we had uh, that group get up and dance. And let me tell you, those people are some um, geez, kinky on the dance floor. Uh, <laughs> and these yeah. people were in their 70s and 80s, and they still had it. And it was such a night to remember because they have a very different style of dancing. It's all yes. pure joy you're reacting to the music, reacting to your partner, right. and it was a blast. Well, I got to tell you, and this is the truth, you are one of five people who actually put the D.C. salsa scene on the map. And if you go out of town, and anybody who knows about salsa, if you say D.C. salsa, these five names will come up. That's my business partner, Kelvin Harris, Irene Holtzman, Shaka Brown, D. Scott, a.k.a. Sinagiani, <laughs> and Eileen Torres. You guys five put D.C. on the map. And I want to thank you, Eileen, for everything that you've taught me. I want to thank you for your friendship. Thank you so much for what you've done for the D.C. salsa scene. And we're going to wrap this up. And the, the interview went fabulous, except for me playing this stupid wrong video at the beginning of the thing. But nobody remembers that but me. No anyway. problem. So, Happy but, birthday tomorrow. Thank you so much, Eileen. It was an honor, privilege, and a pleasure. And I'll hit you back up and let us know when we're going to do part two. Okay. All right. Thanks. Oh, no, 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 no. We, we, got five, we, got, we got five more minutes. I'm tripping. I'm tripping. You were one of the. You were involved with the short movie Mono and also executive producer of Shines. Give us a little, give me a little information about that in Tony well, Delito. Tony had called me and asked if uh, I would help him with the music uh, and securing the rights for the music uh, in Mono. And, uh, and I said, hey, why don't we just get some uh, original music? And I brought in Alfredo de la Fe, and then we uh, used the Johnny Polanco band, Alfredo de la Fe and Pedro Martinez, the great conguero. Um, they wrote the music, and that was in uh, mono. And But before that, I said to him, um, are you looking for investors? So I helped him finance that movie. And mm -hmm. then he called me, said, I'm going to you know, finally make the extension of uh, Mono and it's going to be, well, it was called something else, but it turned into Shine. Right. And, uh, so he said, uh, I want you to be the uh, casting director. And I'm like, oh, he said, don't worry. Nobody <laughs> goes to school to be a casting director. I'll just have <laughs> to do and you do it. Okay. I said, okay. <laughs> I said, okay. And then I also want you to find, uh, you know, get the rights to the Fania music and, um, I called Oscar Hernandez from Spanish Harlem and uh, asked him to uh, write a song. And um, anyway, and then it just went into finding uh, financial support for it. And, sure. uh, and so the movie finally came out okay. in uh, 2018. 
Did you say they 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 were uh, nominated for an award for choreography? Yeah, the choreography because as anybody who's seen the movie knows that dancing is just out of this world. And so we were actually nominated for best choreography in a film. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I, I couldn't interview without bringing that up. So many things we can cover, but I look forward to part two, Eileen. We're gonna wrap it up. Thank you so much, and I'll, I'll talk to you later. Okay. okay. Bye, Earl. All right. Bye, bye. Mm. Oh my goodness.